Revelation chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, read with me. We'll have the, uh, we'll have the words up on the screen. Um, I, didn't, I didn't put this on the slides, but I'm going to go back. I'm going to start in, in, uh, in verse 13 of chapter 8, and we'll read down through the chapter. So it says, And then I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. And then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion who, when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. And the shape of the locust were like horses prepared for battle, On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings were like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. And then the sixth seal sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who has the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, um, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, and they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And so, Lord, we ask you this morning, Lord, just to honor the reading of your word. Lord, we acknowledge that, Lord, in the beginning of this book, Lord, there is a promise given to those who read and hear this book read, Lord, that you promise a blessing. So, Lord, be with us this morning, Lord, as we read and as we study, Lord. Go before us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just some light reading, right? So, in our, in our study of the, the book of Revelation, we, we mentioned how 
the book of Revelation is divided into three sections. And, and this division is, is taken from chapter 1, verse 19, where it says, John is, is told, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. And so we have this kind of natural division within the book, the things which John sees, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And so the things which John saw was a description of Jesus, and that is found in Revelation chapter 1. So the first section or division of the book is there in chapter 1. And then the things which are, the things which are, were, or are the seven churches, Right, and these letters that were written to the seven churches, which are seen in chapters two and three. And so the third division or the third section of the book are the things which will take place after this, which is found from chapters four through the end of the book into chapter 22. Okay, so we're, we're kind of division. So we are in that section, that third section of the book, right? Um, between you know chapters four and twenty-two, which is the the things which will take place after this, and this third section can then be divided into its own three sections. Right, They're the first section would be the rapture of the church, and we see the rapture of the church in chapters four and five, and then. After that, the second division would be the the seven years of tribulation, which is found in chapter 6 through chapters 18. So 6 through 18 is primarily dealing with the seven years of tribulation. And then uh, the third and final section of the book would be the return of Jesus Christ, which is found in chapters 19 through 22. And so we are in this section of the seven years of, of tribulation. We're dealing with uh, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. Um, and so, uh, if you want to pull up that, that graphic um, of the, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls, just to remind you of kind of the, the structure that, that we're currently in, um, there's the, um, right, so, yeah, I believe it's the, the next, the one after, the picture of the seal, that one. Yes, thank you. Right, so we have this structure where the, the, Jesus is given the, or Jesus is the only one worthy to take the scroll, right? And so Jesus takes the scroll, and on this scroll are these seven seals, and Jesus begins to open the seven seals, and that's what we see there on that first, that first column that says Revelation 6, 1 through chapter 8, verse 1, and then when you get to that seventh seal, right before the seventh seal is what we call an, an interlude. It's kind of a pause or a break where we see the 144,000 Jews that are sealed. They have the seal of God placed on their forehead and they are protected and they can't be harmed during this, this time of tribulation. Um, and then after they are sealed, we see that seventh seal opened in Revelation uh, 8. And when that seventh seal is opened, that contains within it the seven trumpets of God, the next set of judgments that God pours out. And so starting in Revelation 8, verse 2, we start to see these trumpets being blown. And then in, in a similar pattern, and, and we see that this, the sixth trumpet gets blown, and then there's an, an interlude. And then after that, the seventh trumpet gets blown. And within that seventh trumpet contains the seven bowl judgments. And all of these judgments step up, right? I mean, the seals are pretty bad. Then you get to the trumpets. The trumpets are worse. And when you get to the bowls, it's like, how do you even survive it? Like, how, it's, it is bad, right? And so this is kind of the structure that we are currently in, right? So we've, we've looked at the seven seals. That seventh seal has been broken. The trumpets are blasting. And last week in chapter eight, we saw four of these trumpets, Right, we saw the first four, um, and and as that those four trumpets were blown. If you remember, if you were here with us last week, but if you weren't, just Reader's Digest version is the first trumpet allowed for one third of the Earth's vegetation to be destroyed. Basically, oxygen producing producing plants, a third of them gone. 
a third. And then the second trumpet blows, right? And when the second trumpet blows, a third of the earth's sea life, gone. A third of the ocean is blood. A third of the uh, ocean creatures are dead. A third of the ships are gone. And then the third trumpet blows, and the third trumpet takes out a third of fresh water, right? So the ocean is contaminated, but now the fresh water, drinking water, a third of that is destroyed. It's, it's poisoned, it says. So a third of the water and a third of the fish in the water are dead. And then that fourth trumpet that we saw get blown took a fourth, I'm sorry, it took a third of lights. And I wouldn't say destroyed. I, would, I think I'd rather use the word diminished. A third of light on the earth has been diminished. A third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars darkened. And that's where we are. And so as we come into chapter 9, we're getting ready to hear the fifth and the sixth trumpet blow. So this brings us to our study this morning. We're going to look at these, these next two judgments, these next two trumpets. Trumpet number five and trumpet number six. So if you're taking notes, you can imagine we have two points to look at. Right? Point one is trumpet five. Point two is trumpet six. Now, these last three trumpets, five, six, and seven, they're different. These are drastically different from what we've seen up until this point. Remember, the first four, right, the first four trumpets anyway, they dealt with the natural world, right? They dealt with nature, a third of trees and grass, a third of the sea life and water, a third of fresh water, and a third of the sun, moon, and stars. It dealt with the the natural world and the natural realm. But as we come into these next two trumpets, we're no longer dealing with the natural world. We're now seeing a glimpse into the spiritual realm. We're going to see here we're dealing with angels and demons. So as we consider this this fifth trumpet we want to look at, this fifth trumpet is seen in verses 1 through 12. And there are three things I'd like to point out about this trumpet. The first is that it involves a star. Look at verse 1. It says, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him it was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So the first thing we want to note is this star that's involved, a star. And I believe this star is referring to an angel. An angel. I don't, this isn't just like a star, like a comet that is, that is falling from the heavens. No, I think this is a personality that we are seeing. If you look again in, in uh, if you back up to, to Revelation chapter 1 verse 20, right, Jesus is, is telling John, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand are the seven golden lamps and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. And the reason I bring that up is because it's not uncommon throughout the book of Revelation, to refer to stars as angels. And, but just to take it a step farther, looking back in, in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says that John saw a star fallen from heaven, and then notice what it says, to him was given a key to the bottomless pit. To him, right? It's, uh, it's a personal pronoun that is given to this star there. Right, it's in the first person singular masculine. This is a personality, and not just a personality, but it is someone specific. First person singular masculine. It's someone specific. So who is this personality? So if we've established that this star is a 
person or a personality, this star is an angel, well then who is it? I think it's Satan himself. Jump down to verse 11 real quick. It says, and they had as king over them, these locusts that come out of the bottomless pit, it says they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, his name is Polyon. Abaddon and Abaddon and Apollyon mean destruction or destroyer. Now, I don't know how much you know about real life locusts, but they don't have a king. When they swarm, they really still today don't know how it is that they swarm because they don't have a leader that guides them and directs them. But these locusts have over them a king called Apollyon or Abaddon. They have a destroyer who leads them, the king of the bottomless pit. But if that's not enough, look back at verse one with me again. In verse one, it says that John saw a star, and notice, fallen from heaven. Fallen. Not falling. He's not seeing something falling to, heaven, er, to the earth. It's already fallen. In the Greek, it's in the perfect tense, which means it's completed. John saw a completed fallen angel. It has already fallen. It happened previously. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of that, what angel fell from heaven? Already. It already happened. I don't know. My mind goes to something like Luke chapter 10, verse 18, where Jesus... So, in Luke chapter 10, right, Jesus had sent out the the 70, right? He sent out the the, the 70 to, to go into to evangelize. And when they came back, man, they were so excited and they're telling Jesus, even the demons are obeying us. Even the demons obey us. And what did Jesus tell them? Right after that, right after they make that declaration, Jesus says, and I said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I think what Jesus was doing there is he was Gently encouraging his disciples, be careful of pride, right? What does Proverbs sixteen eighteen say, right? Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Why did Satan fall from heaven? We're told in, in Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 15. Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nation. And listen to this. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The stars of God. Probably another reference to angels, the angels of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest parts of the pit. I think we're dealing with a fallen angel named Lucifer or Satan or the devil. In Ezekiel 28, he's also, in verses 14 and 15, says, you were an anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. And then in verse 17, it says, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. What star fell from heaven, you ask? This star. I think this is a picture of Satan. Who is then given the key to the bottomless pit. Satan's five I wills in Isaiah 14 resulted in him falling from heaven. And, and 
In a couple weeks, when we get to chapter 12, verse 4, we're going to see that when he fell, it says that his tail drew a third of the angels with him. Actually, again, it says stars. He drew a third of the stars with him, which I think we can safely establish that we're talking about angels here. Right? So Satan drew a third of the angels, which that tells me that one-third of the angels are bad, right? They followed and fell with Satan, and then two-thirds of the angels are good, right? They, they, they remained there in heaven with God. But these, these guys are no joke, right? These aren't little baby-looking cherubs that sit on clouds with their little golden bows. That, no, 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 no. These dudes are not to be messed with, man. And if you remember from 2 Kings in chapter 19, it says that one angel walked through the camp of the Assyrians and killed 185,000 Assyrians in a single night. One angel. It came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Second Kings 19, verse 35. These guys are not to be messed with. And Satan drew a third of them. So it seems clear to me that Satan is this fallen star. Now notice that a key was given to him for the bottomless pit. Someone gave Satan a key. Who? I think it's Jesus. In Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and death. Jesus says, I hold the keys. They're mine. And then he takes a key and he hands it to Satan. And Satan takes that key and he unlocks the bottomless pit. Well, not only does this first trumpet deal with a star, but it also deals with locusts. It involves locusts. Look in verses three through six. So the bottomless pit has been opened. It says, then out of the smoke, right? So that the pit gets open and there's this billow of smoke that comes out. It says it darkens the sky and the air, right? So like the air's gotten thick because of the smoke that's come out of this pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts, in verse three, came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, and they were not given authority to kill them, but, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. So, not just normal locusts, right? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, locusts go after the vegetation. These things are commanded not to touch it. No, no, you, you, you can leave the grass and the trees and the vegetation alone. You can go after the men that don't have God's seal on them. You can chew on them. So once again, I think we're dealing with fallen angels. Right? I think we're dealing here with demons in the demonic realm. I mean, these things are locked up in the bottomless pit. They can't get out until Jesus gave someone a key to it. Satan needed a key from Jesus to release these things from captivity. But wait a minute. Not all demons are locked up, are they? I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that Satan and, and much of his army are very much at work today. They're not in chains. They're not bound in the bottomless pit. But evidently, some of them are. 
I mean, I think scripture's pretty clear on this, right? I mean, they're, they're there, bound behind a key, some locked door of some, some sort. And if you bear with me a minute, if you remember in, in Genesis chapter 6, right, that they were that they were what's called the sons of God, right? Another, another reference to angels that came down and they intermingled with the daughters of men and it produced something that was called the Nephilim, giants. There was some unnatural, unholy union between these sons of God and these daughters of men, right? Where, I mean, God extinguished the earth, save eight people on a boat, I believe, and I could be wrong, and I'm okay if I am, but I believe that these sons of gods or these, these angels from, from Genesis chapter 6 are the same angels that we're seeing here coming out of the bottomless pit. I believe these fallen angels were put in chains and they are waiting there for this very moment. In Jude chapter, uh, sorry, Jude only has one chapter. In Jude 6 and 7, verses 6 and 7, it says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the day, of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So Jude there couples the, what I believe the unholy union between these, these angels and daughters of men, right, going after strange flesh, just as Sodom and Gomorrah did. If that's not enough, Peter talks about this too in Second Peter for, uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 4 through 6 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Once again, Peter references Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah. I think this is all painting a picture for us of what's in this bottomless pit, right? That God cast them there and has kept them chained there for this judgment, for this specific purpose. He couldn't let them out because of what they do. And when he does let them out, when he does let them out, it's only for five months. He gives them five months. How about this? The demons who are free are afraid of this place. Remember in um, Luke chapter eight, right? Jesus goes and there is a, a demon-possessed man there and, and Jesus asks their name, and he says, we are legion, for we are many, right? And in, in verse uh, 31, it says that they begged him, Jesus, they begged Jesus that he would not command them to go into the abyss. Same word for bottomless pit. They're like, don't send us to that place. Send us into those swine. And so he ca- they, they get sent into the swine, and they, they jump off the cliff and drown. Sorry. This is a common thing. The demons are aware of it. This place, this holding cell. And so judgment has arrived. These things are being released from the abyss, from this bottomless pit to torment, to torment mankind for five months or 150 days. But who's counting? Probably them. But don't, don't miss the sovereignty of God here. Because I know this, it sounds bad and it's going to get worse. So I want you to understand that God is sovereign. He is on the throne. 
He is the one in control. Remember, he's the one loosing the seals. Jesus is the only one who could take that scroll. He is the only one worthy to loose the seals, right? And these trumpets are contained within that sixth, I'm sorry, within that seventh seal. Jesus is unleashing these things. Jesus is the one who gives the key. Satan didn't have it. He didn't have the authority to go do what he was doing. Jesus gave it to him. The key was given. Power was given to them to torment. They are commanded not to harm. I'm sorry, not to kill. Right? They are, I'm sorry, let me get ahead of myself. They're commanded not to harm the vegetation. Right? They have to obey the commands that are being given to them. Right? They are not allowed to kill. They are permitted to torment. And those being tormented are not permitted to die. Someone is on the throne and controlling these things. God is on the throne. And, and another small point, I think, too, is that we think, like, I mean, these, these things are crazy, right? And they're coming out and they're tormenting mankind. It says there that they want, people want to die. They're like, just death would be easier than dealing with these things. And they're not allowed to. And it sounds terrible. But, you know, when I was thinking about this, I see God's mercy in that. It's, it's almost as if hell is being released. And God's saying, you guys have rejected me. Let me give you a taste of hell for five months where you can't die. Because if you die, this is your torment for eternity. And so he gives mercy and says, for five months, you have an opportunity to repent. And you can't die during this time. You can repent. That's God's mercy. That's his long suffering. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is happening because God has willed it so. He has a purpose in it. He has a reason for doing this. Let's come to the third thing we want to consider about this first judgment, this fifth trumpet judgment, the first one we're considering this morning, is is not only the star that's involved, not only the locusts that are involved, but these locusts are described for us in verses 7 through 12. We have a description of them. John says the shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle, On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, his name is Apollyon. And in verse 12, it says, One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after this. If that wasn't bad enough, right? It's like, well, that's one. That's, that's why I wanted to read verse 13 of chapter 8 again, because there's this angel flying around saying, Woe, woe, woe. There are three woes coming, and this fifth Trumpet is one of those woes. The sixth trumpet will be the second woe, and then the seventh trumpet will be the third woe. And I want, as we read through these verses, I want to pause for a minute, because notice the words he uses. Note the, they're like this, and they're like that. Eight times, John describes these locusts like something else. He calls them a locust, but then he describes them like all these other things as well. And I want us this morning to try and resist the urge 
to try and visualize these things. Because I don't think we can. And quite frankly, I don't think that's why John wrote this. I don't think he's like, oh, I'm going to give a description of these. And one day someone's going to get out their sketch pad, put pen to paper and, and draw this accurately. John was limited to the vocabulary that he had, the life experience that he had. Hence, he's going, well, I, I don't know what this is, but it, it, it's like a locust. It's, they've got something on their heads that's kind of like a crown of gold. It, you know, like he's struggling to get the right words to describe what these things are. So instead, I thought it might be helpful for us to try and maybe conceptualize these rather than visualize them. In other words, what, what is John trying to convey as he's describing these hellish things coming out of the bottomless pit? What is the concept here? What's, what's being, so stay with me here. He says they are like horses prepared for battle. John's like, these things are, are like, it's like cavalry charging into battle. And what's he trying to convey? Probably that we're at war. This is warfare. We are in a battle. This is not just some small thing that we deal with in life. This is, right? And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 to put on the armor of God. You don't put on armor unless you're going to war, Right? You don't put armor on unless you're anticipating a battle. John's saying, I'm seeing these things, and these things are ready for war. He says they have something like golden crowns on their heads. Crowns speak to authority. These things have some level of authority, Right, and we talked about how their authority is limited, right? Like they, they can't atta- attack the vegetation or the trees. They can't kill, but they can. It's been permitted to them. They've been given the authority to torment for five months. They have a level of authority that is perhaps, it's, it's, the authority is higher than the people on the earth, but lower obviously than God, right? God's the one in control, but they have Authority. It says they have the face like a man. He's not saying that these are human beings, but he says there's something human-esque about them. There's something man-like about them. And what I was thinking about was it, it speaks of sentience or intelligence, right? These, these aren't just mindless beasts that are operating on instinct. They follow commands. They obey what they're told, They're intelligent. They're systematic in what they're doing. They're deliberate in what they're doing and why they're doing it. It says they have hair like women's hair. I gotta be honest, I kind of struggled with this one for a minute, but like what what is that saying? But you know, in, in scripture, women's hair is referred to as their beauty, their glory, right? Ladies, your hair is beautiful and it's part of your beauty. And, and I think what that's telling us is that there's probably perhaps something that is luring and attractive about these things. For some reason, people are drawn to them. And I was kind of thinking about this. That's what sin does in our life, isn't it? Sin is attractive. It's luring. But in the end, it stings. In the end, it hurts. There's something about these that is going to lure people to them and then they get tormented by it. Much like we are tormented by our sin. We don't like that we're lured to it, but we are. It says they have lion's teeth, something like lion's teeth. Man, these, I mean, when I think of a lion, right, I think of something fierce and ferocious, right? These things are no joke. It says they have something like breastplates of iron. They're protected, man. For five months, they're going to torment the earth and there is nothing people can do about it. It says that when they fly, their wings sound like the sound of chariots. And as I was picturing that and thinking about that, that tells me that whatever's happening is inescapable. 
right? Like the, the rushing of chariots coming to battle. Like, I can't escape this. I can't go anywhere to do anything. It's going to be inescapable. And then lastly, they have something like scorpion tails. They're going to inflict pain. You know, I was on a missions trip uh, when I was in high school. We went to, um, uh, we went to Dominica. And we were helping a church uh, build homes. And so there was, there was this little overhang with all of this lumber. But when we'd go in there to, to grab like these two by fours out, these scorpions would like scurry out from under the wood. And it was so funny because the locals were like, ah, and they'd barefoot and they'd stomp them, you know. They had to, you know, they wanted to be all strong in front of the, their guests, right. But man, if they sting you, it's not good, right. Like for, in some places of the world, a, a scorpion sting can be sometimes deadly, but they're it's tormenting, right? You don't want to deal with that kind of pain. These things are going to come out and they're going to inflict pain for five months. And so thinking about this, right, isn't that how the enemy works? We are in a battle. He has a level of authority. He operates with intelligence. His tactics are enticing and luring and attractive, but he is fierce and ferocious like a lion, He has a level of armor that protects him and his his attacks are inescapable and quite frankly, they inflict pain. That's just the first one. In chapter, uh, sorry, in verse 13, we come to the sixth trumpet that sounds. In verses 13 through 21, we have this sixth trumpet. And while the fifth trumpet involves the torment of mankind, the sixth trumpet involves the death of a third of the world's population. Look at verses 13 and 14. It involves four angels, it says. Verse 13, the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So John hears a voice, we don't know, but probably Jesus, right? Because this voice is coming from the four horns of the altar. Third time John is seeing this altar, the first time John sees it is in Revelation chapter 6 when the sixth seal is, is broken. And then again in Revelation 8 at the seventh seal, he's uh, seeing this altar. And now here at the sixth trumpet, John is seeing the altar in heaven. And this voice that comes across saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, go release those four angels that are bound at the great river Euphrates. So we have the bottomless pit where there are things that are bound. But apparently, at the great river Euphrates, there are four more in chains that are bound, waiting for judgment. Again, I think we're dealing with fallen angels here. I think we're dealing with demons that are you know, chained up and bound that need to be released by this, this angel with the trumpet. And they're bound at the river Euphrates. Euphrates River is the longest river in Western Asia. Uh, It's some 1,700 miles long. And the river Euphrates has been at the crux of everything God has done. The river Euphrates is there in Genesis chapter 2 in the Garden of Eden, where Eve was tempted by the serpent, where man fell. The river Euphrates was there when the Tower of Babel was being constructed. The river Euphrates is still there today. In fact, in Revelation 16, when we get there, we're going to see that the river Euphrates is going to dry up and the armies from the east are going to cross the dried riverbed to get to the Valley of Megiddo for the Battle of Armageddon. Interesting that today they're saying that the Euphrates River is drying up. It's happening today in our own lifetime. 
Well, at this river are these four angels that are chained and bound. But it doesn't just involve four angels. It also involves, and get this, 200 million demons. Verses 15 and 16 says, So these four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released for the purpose of killing a third of mankind. And then John says in 16, Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. In other words, yeah, you heard correctly. The army's that big. But notice again the the sovereignty of God. These things, this army of 200 million demons on, on, well, horseback. They're strange looking horses. We'll see that in a minute. But for this hour, for this day, for this month, for this year, right? These things have been chained there waiting for this very hour. Again, who's the one pulling the strings? Who's the one in control? Who is the one who is sovereign and on the throne? And that should comfort you this morning. It comforts me knowing that we serve a God who is controlling these things. They don't happen because he dropped the ball, because he took his eyes off. No, it's happening because he has divinely decided it so. So there is an army of 200 million demons on horses. And just to... <laughs> that's, that's an army that is a mile thick that spans 87 miles long, if you can imagine that. 200 million, if you stand shoulder to shoulder, would, would, would be 87 miles long, but it would be a mile thick. This is the army that comes out when that sixth trumpet gets blown. And their task, their goal, is to kill a third of mankind. A third. The last trumpet, right, trumpet number five, prevented death. For five months, people couldn't die. And then when the sixth trumpet gets blown, they get their wish. One in three. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, when the fourth seal is broken, it says that a quarter, 25% of the population is, is killed. So, just to kind of, again, to try and put things in a little bit of perspective here, assuming there's roughly 8 billion people on the planet, right about now, give or take, but for round numbers, we'll say 8 billion, and if, and if you believe the statistics that are out there, roughly, they're saying a billion will be raptured, leaving seven billion people on the planet to go through the seven years of tribulation. So, seven billion, and then after the fourth seal, a quarter is gone, and then now after this trumpet, a third is gone. That's half the population. That's 3.5 billion people left which means that's 3.5 billion people that die from one seal and from one trumpet. Man. Jonathan Edwards said, the bow of God's wrath is bent and the arrow is made ready on the string and justice bends the arrow at your heart and it strains the bow and there is nothing but the mere pleasure of God that keeps that arrow from being released. God's long-suffering. You see, we deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. But it is his pleasure that stays it. It's why he sent his son. It's why Jesus came. So we don't have to go through this. But unfortunately, there are those that will. Well, we have to hurry. We only have like 45 minutes left. How, how are these demons described? In verses 17 and 19, it says, And thus I saw the, the horses of the vision, those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, 
uh, hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like, again, you notice the, they were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. So we're told how, right? A third of mankind died because of fire, brimstone, and smoke. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. So they're on horses, right? So this is like an army on horseback. I don't know what the stall action of 200 million horses looks like. I don't know who cleans up after that or who feeds it for that matter. But it says they have heads like lions and that out of their mouths are coming fire, brimstone, and smoke. And that they have these tails that are like serpents that, that harm people. And that they're wearing these, these breastplates that are red, blue, and yellow. And it's these three plagues, right? This fire, this brimstone, this smoke. These three things are what kills a third of the population. For five months, death escaped them. And now one in three won't be able to escape death. Let's come to the last thing we want to consider before we close this morning. In verses 20 and 21, in light of all of this that we've just looked at, in verses 20 and 21, their lack of repentance. Their lack of repentance. Look what it says. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. Right? They should not be worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Man, their lack of repentance. I don't know, I think if I saw those things coming out of the bottomless pit, like I'd fall to my knees right away. I'd like to hope I would anyway. But their lack of repentance, and their lack of repentance is seen in two ways too. Notice that. In verse 20, their lack of repentance is spiritual in nature. Spiritually, they did not repent. It says they continue to worship, get this, Demons and idols. Okay. Demons are like 200 million, right? These creatures from the bottomless pit. And yet, they're worshiping them. Like, what in the world? They are being tormented and killed by demons and there they are worshiping the very things that are tormenting them and killing them. But you know, that's not all too different than ourselves, isn't it? We find ourselves in our sin. We keep coming back to it time and time again. Even though it is the very thing that is tormenting us, we find ourselves back in it. Why? And and trust me, I'm preaching to myself. Like, why do I do this? Why do I struggle with this? (laughs) You know, you might be thinking this morning, yeah, I'm I'm good. I don't I don't have a little I don't have a little bobblehead that sits on my dashboard that I worship. I'm not worshiping demons. Listen. The truth is, we all have a propensity for worship. We all have it. Ecclesiastes 3, 11, Solomon says, He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity in their hearts. Paul says, For the creation was subjected to futility, 
There is a God-shaped hole in all of us. There is an emptiness that can only be filled by the love of Jesus Christ. We all have a propensity for worship. And listen this morning, if you are not worshiping Jesus Christ, you are worshiping something else, someone else. We have a propensity to worship. And if it's not Jesus, we need to take inventory this morning, find out what that is. Maybe this morning you worship, you like money more than you like Jesus. Maybe it's your career, your relationships, your family. I don't know. But I'm telling you right now, if it's not the person of Jesus, you are worshiping something else. There is no middle ground. There is no riding the fence. You are on this side or you're on this side. Chuck Smith always liked to say, what is your master passion in life? What is your master passion? What is the thing that drives you? What is it that keeps you going? Because if it is not Jesus, then take inventory this morning. The answer to the question of what is your master passion in life, the answer to that question will inform what it is you're worshiping. Well, lastly, not only was their lack of repentance not spiritual, but their lack of repentance was moral as well. Notice what it says there in verse 21. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, and their thefts. He's like, they're morally bankrupt. Half the population is gone. 3.5 billion people have died from plagues, and yet they're still killing each other. They're still murdering each other, and they're not repentant of it. There's no remorse to it. It says they're still involved in sorceries. That's the Greek word pharmakia. It's where we get our word pharmacy. They're struggling with with drug addictions. They're struggling with murders. They're struggling with sexual immorality still. They're still stealing from each other. They are morally bankrupt. I mean, it's bad enough that hell is broken loose on the earth, but they can't still treat each other with love and respect and decency and consideration. But this shouldn't be surprising. In 2 Timothy 3, 13 through 15 says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But if you continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you see the line that's been drawn in the sand? It is Jesus or something else. And the something else leads to hell on earth. And so we're gonna, we're gonna partake of communion here in just a moment. You know, and, and Paul tells us in, in 1 Corinthians that, that we need to take inventory. We need to examine ourselves. And so I want to encourage everyone this morning, as we bring this to a close, as I close in prayer, take inventory. Where are you this morning? Ask the question that Chuck asks. What is your master passion in life? And as you answer that question this morning, I want you to come before the Lord. And I want you to partake of him this morning. And if you do not know the Lord this morning, today is the day of salvation, right? I mean, these things are scary and terrifying, and, but it's not yet, right? God said that, that it's for that hour, that day, that month, that year, but it's not today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make a decision for Christ because the simple fact of the matter is is that no one is promised tomorrow, We just aren't. So if you don't know him this morning, today, talk to one of us. We need to do business with the Lord. And, and, you know, 
if you do know the Lord this morning, which I hope is all of us in this room, but if you do know the Lord this morning, we still need to take inventory. We still need to, to come and examine ourselves at the foot of the cross and say, Lord, how do I measure up? What do I need to change? Where have I fallen short? If you need to confess something this morning, confess it. If you need to make a change in your life this morning, make that change now, today. Do business with God in this place this morning. And so God, we, God, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for how it speaks and how it ministers, Lord, and that, Lord, while these things are, are interesting to consider, Lord, and, and quite frankly, they're kind of terrifying, Lord, that, Lord, something can come upon the earth and just wipe out half the population Lord, but I also know that you do these things. You allow these things because your heart, your purpose, Lord, is that all men be saved. Lord, that you stay death's hand for five months, Lord, in the hopes that someone might turn and repent. And so, Lord, maybe this morning we need to repent of something. Lord, maybe there's confession that we need to make. Lord, allow us this morning, Lord, to take a moment, Lord, and just to do business with you. God, we, we thank you. We praise you for your word, Lord. Would you go before us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.